0: So, as we continue our series through the hymns of Christmas, we come to what is perhaps, I guess, the most famous and beloved of all joy to the world. It's fitting that joy is a central theme of Christmas, but I wonder if we actually see it that way. And here's what I mean there are four themes to uh, the Advent season, represented by the four candles that we light. Hope, love, peace, and joy. And the idea behind Advent is that these four things are the crucial longings and needs of humanity. That find their fulfillment in the advent of the Messiah. That more than anything else, our world is longing for hope, love, peace, and joy. And that with the coming of Christ, these longings are met. But if you stop to think about it, do you actually believe that joy should make that list? We certainly See that hope and love and peace are essentially important. But do we view our happiness that way? That is to say, we know something like love is absolutely vital and necessary to our being. Without it, we cannot survive. But I don't think we give happiness such preeminence. Instead, we view joy as I think, kind of a nice accessory to life. If we have it, it's great. It's certainly important. But it's not critical. It's not crucial to our very being. But it may come as a surprise to you that the Bible actually disagrees with that. Joy is not secondary. It is crucial. As crucial as love. So crucial that Jesus came into the world to make this world happy because it's that important to him any parent instinctively knows this truth there are no links that we will not go to give our children love is there there's nothing we won't do to show them that we love them but you know what there are no links that we will not go to give our children joy as well gonna we'll return one more time maybe one more time Oh, we'll try, I'm going to try- return to my Disney vacation maybe one more time here I told you I came back with a lot <clears throat> let me prove to you my point here the Disney vacation requires high level strategizing of epic proportions okay um, one does not simply show up at Disney you're welcome to, but you will not have fun the, uh, the plotting literally begins months in advance this is all Abby here, okay, so don't, don't think that I, I was just going to show up but Abby said no, 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 no. that's not how it works So months in advance, she is uh, planning out our fast passes and making our meal reservations and and mapping out the route that we're going to take at each park and on and on. I can go with the scheming. And then, of course, you arrive there and the implementation of the plan is crucial. Any Disney expert will tell you that a critical part of implementation takes place at the opening of the park. Uh, Veterans call this the rope drop moment. The launching of this new day when Disney is ready to be conquered again by tourists, and so what happens is you've you've got um, you've got a horde of parents gathered at the starting gate, ready to kind of run in on Disney, and um, or you don't you're not allowed to run on Disney. They call it walk purposefully. You're ready to walk purposefully to the most popular rides in the park. So here's our most memorable rope drop moment. Came okay, in Magic Kingdom. We need to get to the Seven Dwarfs ride. Um, The problem was is that we're at the right side of the crowd, and Seven Dwarfs is on the left side of the park. Crucial first mistake that we made. And so here's the plan that Abby devised. My sweet wife devised. She said, All right, you're gonna take the double stroller, you're gonna push your way through, you're gonna be the lead blocker, we're gonna be behind you, don't look back, just go. And so the rope drops, I take off through the crowd. At one point, the tire of the stroller clips the heel of a fellow tourist. At a moment of weakness, I begin to slow down and make amends, but I hear my sweet pastor's wife voice behind me yell, no time, just keep moving. (laughs) We fight through this crowd. We arrive at the seven dwarfs, exhausted, but only a 15-minute wait before us. Why? Why all the effort? Why all the planning? Why all the money? Why all the madness? Why? Why? to make our kids happy that's it there are no links that we will not go to give our children joy and we are that way because we are made in the image of God who is that way a God who will stop at nothing to make you happy There are no lengths that he will not go to to see joy to the world. And our passage makes that abundantly clear this morning. We're going to see two things here. The revelation of joy to the world and then the foundation of joy to the world. Let's start with the revelation. The shepherds are in the field at night. The angels appear to them with glory shining around them. We will return to that tomorrow night. But then look at the revelation of the angel in verse 10. And, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So heaven brings good news that is for all the people. This is global good news. But let us not miss or take for granted The significance of the descriptor here. It is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The good news is joy to the world. Now think about that. When heaven announces the arrival of the Messiah, joy is the chosen descriptor. It does not say good news of great love, though that is certainly true. It does not say good news of great hope, though that is certainly true. It does not say good news of great peace, of great glory, of great mercy. There are countless ways to announce the goodness of the gospel. But heaven prioritizes joy. That matters. What excites heaven the most about the arrival of Jesus is that it's going to make the world happy. And yes, I'm I'm defining joy as happiness. There's a movement these days to define joy as something other than what it truly is, which is happiness. The emotion of feeling happy. That's the meaning of the word in Greek. That's the meaning of the word in English. That's the meaning of the word in every language because that's the meaning of joy. But what is popular these days is to say that Happiness is this frivolous, trivial emotion that we shouldn't concern ourselves with. It kind of comes and goes with circumstances. But joy is kind of this deep, unaffected conviction that cannot be moved or shaken. That is nonsense. That is a coping mechanism to deal with how fragile joy is in this fallen world. It's so hard to find and maintain that we'll just give up on it. And define it as something that it isn't. But what we see here is that God is not giving up on the dream of happiness for this world. Because that's what the world was made to be. Eden was a happy place. A perpetually happy place. But when it was violated by sin, there emerged these strange intruders... Emotions of sadness and despondency and pain and tears and worry and fear, all of these sensations that ought not to be in this world, but seem to be more prevalent than their counterpart of joy. And so the world is left starving, I would say ravenous to recover joy. Everything from the opioid epidemic that we're seeing in our country to an overeating binge on. Sweets, All of it is an attempt to reclaim what was compromised in Eden. This thing called happiness. We're just not happy. And it's not just that we want to be, it's that we need to be. We were made to be. Our souls were literally designed to be happy. And here in Luke 2, heaven burst through the boundaries of this miserable world... With good news of great joy for all the people. News proclaiming that the world is destined to be a happy place once again. But it's one thing to announce it. It's another thing to actually accomplish it. How is it even possible? Well, let's look now at the foundation of joy, which we see in verse 11. For... That four obviously indicates that this is the reason. This is the foundation of the good news of great joy to all the world. That is to say, this is what will make the world happy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. So an event, a a circumstance, a, a change in history, this birth is the source of joy now why am i saying it like this because another misconception we tend to have about joy is that it isn't circumstantial meaning you will hear well-intended people speak of christian joy as something that is impervious to any and all circumstances it's something that you're just supposed to have despite what's going on all around you that's just nonsense Of course happiness is dependent upon your circumstances. Eden was perfectly happy because it was perfect circumstances. And this world is miserable because it's miserable circumstances. And that's precisely the problem with joy, right? It is so fragile. Coming and going based upon changing circumstances. And you won't find the Bible trying to argue otherwise. Instead what the Bible does is announce the introduction of a new circumstance that will transcend any and all other circumstances. In other words, this announcement from on high of joy to the world is not ignorant of all the bad news that fills this world... It's just that it views this good news of great joy to be far superior to any and all bad news of great sorrow. Joy is circumstantial. But this is a joyful circumstance that overcomes and overwhelms any and all mournful circumstances. Simply put, because this happened, we have reason to be happy no matter anything else that happens. So, then why aren't we happy? This has happened. The good news of great joy has come. So, why aren't we happy? Well, I want to suggest that we have forgotten just how good this news truly is. Isn't it interesting the command to behold that the angels give us fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy behold it observe consider meditate dwell contemplate internalize it apply it this is what it means to behold I wonder if the problem is not the truth of this good news of great joy but rather our failure to behold so let's behold for a moment Shall we? That's the command of the text. Behold. So let's do it. A Savior has been born to you. That did not have to happen. In fact, it should not have happened. And that, brothers and sisters, would have been the worst news of all. I don't in any way... Mean to trivialize or minimize your difficult circumstances. I only mean to tell you that nothing compares to the dreadful thought of no Savior born. To leave us helpless and hopeless in our sinfulness and in the tragedies of this fallen world, to hand us over to the hell of our own choosing. To deliver us over to the damnation of justice. To demand that we stand all alone before the righteous heat of Mount Sinai's flames. To abandon us alone with no savior in this eternally horrendous thought. You got yourself into this mess. Now you save yourself out of this mess. Nothing could be more horrifying Nothing. Go ahead. Put that to the test. Name your worst circumstance. Name your greatest fear in life. A terminal diagnosis. A terminal diagnosis of a child. A wayward child. For some of us, that is more difficult than a sick child. Never having a child. Never finding a spouse or being able to conceive other outside things, financial ruin, public shame. Go ahead. I dare you to name what your mind fears the most and then compare it to the prospect of no savior born to you. We just take it for granted. But nothing could be worse than a world without Christmas. But behold... I bring to you good news of great joy, people. A Savior has been born to you. You have been saved. And that good news of great joy transcends any bad news of great sorrow. And so, yes, brothers and sisters, you ought to be happy no matter what. And if you're not, then behold the good news of great joy again. And again, and again, and again, behold until it breaks through the gloomy clouds of night and puts a smile on your face. And that gospel smile, that gospel delight of great joy is why Jesus came. Do you know what it cost him to make you happy? Do you know the links he went to see you happy. Man of sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came. His birth is great joy for us, but great sorrow for him. Jesus laid aside his eternal happiness to bear the destiny of our eternal, eternal sorrow. On the last night... ...of his life, this is what he had to say. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. As it should be. Because the greatest moment of misery this world would ever know was before him. And yet he embraces the misery so that you can be happy. So, for Christ's sake, literally for Christ's sake... Be happy. The greatest way to honor the good news of great joy is to enjoy the good news of great joy. Or to state it negatively, the greatest way to dishonor the great lengths the Savior went for your joy is to not be joyful. Once again, ask any parent and they will tell you that truth. You want to know what ruins a vacation? What would ruin a Christmas morning? What would ruin the great links we go to? It's not the money that we have to spend. It's not the hassle. It's not the crowds, not the lines at, at Disney World, not any of the great links it requires to pull it off. It's when, after you go to such great links, your kids don't enjoy it. Murmuring, complaining, Whining, ungrateful, I'm hot, this is boring. Thankless response to your great efforts to make them happy. It's not only infuriating where you want to grab them and say, have fun. (laughs) More than infuriating, it's heartbreaking. But a smile, a laugh, That mesmerizing look when they see in person their favorite characters. That thrilling scream on their favorite ride. That joyful hug and genuine thank you. Your children and the thralls of happiness enjoying the great lengths you have gone to make them happy. That's all a parent wants. So here's my challenge for us this Christmas. Give Jesus what he wants. You cannot repay him. He doesn't expect you to or want you to. You cannot add to this gift and make it better than it is. He doesn't want you to. He does not expect you to. But you can enjoy it, which is all he expects and wants from us. So for once, people, would you just accept that it's true and enjoy that it's true? You really are forgiven of your sins you really are free from condemnation. You really are saved. You really are going to heaven when you die. You really are going to enjoy an eternal destiny of endless happiness in the new heavens and the new earth. A Savior really has been born to you. A Savior really has died for you. A Savior really has... That risen and shall return again for you. This good news of great joy really is true. So, for His sake, give Him what He wants and just enjoy it. Let me pray that He would help us do that. Or give us joy in your salvation, restore unto us the joy of Thy salvation, the greatest gift we can give you this morning is to just leave here free and happy in the gospel of good news, of great joy. We've heard it preached. Now teach us again through your sacrament. In Jesus' name, amen.